What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Hello friend, welcome to Foul Play, where today we're looking at the story of what is just a family business. Sometimes when we delve into something and peel back the layers, a terrifying truth can be uncovered. This is often what happens with a cold case. Any case with a lack of evidence means that the criminal roams free. And in the case of a murder, it means a killer still walks among us. That is, until someone or some people stumble upon that crucial piece of evidence that changes everything. This is what we're delving into today, a mysterious cold case that involved a troubling missing girl. And as each piece of the jigsaw fell into place, it became clear that the final picture was one of horrifying deceit. It took decades to find all the missing parts, but when they all came together, it was clear what had happened, even if the story had been murky up until that point, made murkier by serious foul play. Holland, Michigan was an ordinary working-class town known for its tulips, which should have been on the cusp of brightening the town up in March 1989. Holland was home to Dennis and Brenda Bowman. It was also home to a crime involving their adopted daughter, Andrea. Dennis was a wood machinist, a large man with reddish-brown hair, a goatee and wire-rimmed glasses. Brenda wasn't small herself. She had curled bangs and a previous job at the jewellery counter at a major department store. Fifteen months earlier, the two had a biological daughter named Vanessa. On March the 11th, their world was about to be plunged into dismay. This was the last day they'd see their adopted daughter alive. Dennis contacted the police and declared her missing along with some of her belongings and $100 of his money from the dresser. The profile that he gave of his daughter matched perfectly with a troublesome teenager who'd run away for attention. The police were told she'd had issues and was not averse to running away to a friend's house. This was the first port of call for the inquiry. It seemed clear that this was a simple run-away-from-home case that could easily be solved with a few phone calls. However, that wasn't the case. And the truth was far worse and far from being uncovered. Andrea had stolen $150, not 100 and no amount of calls or inquiries to her friends provided any new information. This wasn't a case that would be solved overnight. A warrant for theft was issued, but this still didn't explain where Andrea had gone. The town started their mutters and speculations about the young girl. Memories of a cut wrist, seen on the school bus, 
were resurrected as evidence of possible self-harm as the cause. Others had previously speculated that her parents were guilty of abuse, as she was rarely seen out of the house, especially around the time she went missing. But this was just town gossip. The reason why Andrea was so housebound was because of her newly born sister. She'd been recruited as a third parent. Everything from changing diapers to giving baths became tasks that Andrea, a teenage girl, regularly had to keep up with. It seemed as though the only abuse the 14-year-old was suffering was being used as a babysitter instead of getting to enjoy her childhood. As a result, Andrea got close to the infant and would get anxious whenever she wasn't around her. While all other girls at school had magazine cuttings of their latest celebrity crushes, Andrea kept a photo of her sister. It was not a stretch to assume that all this pressure at such a young age was finally taking its toll. And she simply snapped one day and fled. And this is exactly what the police assumed, so it was treated as a missing persons case. It was passed on to the Youth Services Bureau to be dealt with. Soon enough, reports of sightings began to trickle in one by one. One was at a 7-Eleven, one with a group of young men, and another with a teenage boy. One person claimed Andrea had dyed her hair and was pregnant. Although none of these could be confirmed, Brenda and Dennis hoped it would give the police a push to continue searching. They held on to the hope that Andrea would be returned to them safe and sound. But as time passed, it became clear that this wouldn't be the case. As Andrea's classmates were growing up and graduating, she remained a 14-year-old girl in a police file. With time, the trail went cold, and the case was forgotten, as was Andrea herself. Not even an appearance in the Soul Asylum music video for Runaway Train would help find the now soon-to-be young adult get back to her family. The video was famous for featuring missing young people across America. It was also famous for a majority of those young people being found alive and well. This was not to be the case for Andrea. Fast forward to 2009, 20 years later, and there was still no sign of the missing teenager last seen in 1989. And at this point, Carl Koppelman enters the story. Koppelman was an average man. He worked as an accountant and a senior financial analyst for the Walt Disney Company in California. That was until 2009, when his mother, then in her late 80s, needed full-time care. Koppelman provided that care, but this meant he needed to quit his job at the Walt Disney Company. He found himself housebound for most of the day, and his only company, apart from his mother, was his computer. That computer became his window to the rest of the world. Considerable time had passed since 1989, and the internet was not a meeting place and a place to pick up new hobbies and learn new things where most would use the limitless ability of the internet to browse YouTube videos or indulge in online shopping. Koppelman used it to become a bit of an amateur sleuth. 
Koppelman had cited key memories that triggered his fascination with unsolved mysteries. The first was growing up in the 70s, when serial killers started to get more airtime on national TV. Next, he remembers the killings of 11 Israeli athletes at the 1972 Olympics. This opened up his mind to the evil that people were capable of. And then he started looking into incidents closer to home. When Carl was 14 years old, a friend of his older brother, John Lehmann, was killed by Patrick Carney, also known as the Trash Bag Killer. This rocked his community and left an eerie fear around the area. Following this, two years later, 16-year-old Lucinda Lynn Schaefer was killed by the so-called toolbox killers in neighboring Redondo Beach, California. And Koppelman remembered vividly reading about this in the newspaper. His new circumstances in 2009 gave him lots of free time to pursue his hobby. He would be an active user on WebSleuths, using his main skill of cross-referencing records for missing person cases and unidentified bodies to try and find a correlation. His talents took on a new dimension when he discovered the software CorelDRAW as an amateur sketch artist formerly surrounded by some of the world's best animators. Koppelman was a strong visualizer, and this new platform gave him a tool to reimagine his own interpretations of police descriptions with post-mortem photos. What he was able to produce were very accurate portraits of the John and Jane Doe's that had been discovered across America. Matching these with pictures from missing person reports proved incredibly effective in opening up cold cases. So effective, in fact, that the police started using Koppelman services. All of this was voluntary. He wasn't paid a penny. But he was happy to help the authorities in any way he could, as his mother would sit in the opposite room. He was helping people, keeping himself occupied, and looking after his mother. Without realizing it, Koppelman had accidentally become one of the best forensic sketch artists in America. But before Koppelman got to this point, in 2009, he was still just an amateur detective, only just scratching the surface of his true capabilities. His eye caught one particular case, known as the Racine County Jane Doe. She was found dead in 1999. Her autopsy revealed a tragic demise, featuring brain injury, sexual assault, and other evidence of abuse. She was a complete unknown, but despite that, it didn't stop people from coming out from the farming community, attending her funeral, and leaving a gravestone that read, Gone, but not forgotten. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. What's the easiest choice you can make? 
window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. If there was ever a tagline for Koppelman's work, this was it. He got to work and started by getting as much of a description as he could gather about this Jane Doe. She had hazel green eyes, two piercings in each ear, and short reddish brown hair. Add to this the fact that she was five foot eight, 120 pounds, and between 18 and 30 years old, and Carl had something solid to go on. The next step was combing through the missing persons database to try and find a match. At first, it seemed like there was nothing, just a load of dead ends where a key piece of information didn't match the description. But then he saw a possibility. Andrea Bowman. By his estimates, she would have been 25 in 1999, and her physical description was a close enough match. It was a four-hour journey between Holland and where the body was found, which was definitely close enough to seem plausible. Armed with enough information to continue pursuing this line, Copperman went to work mocking up a sketch and took it to the police, complete with highlighted areas of common ground between the photo of Andrea and the Jane Doe he was looking at. The police agreed this was enough to reopen the case, and after a 20-year hiatus, there was some hope of closure in the Bowman story. The best way of positively identifying a match was from DNA, but the biggest complication here was that Andrea was adopted, a key detail the sleuth didn't account for. Police would need to track down her birth parents to provide them with what was required. This would be a long, drawn-out process. While this was happening, Copperman went back to doing what he did best and combed the internet for any more information he could. But what he found, nothing could have prepared him for it. When he logged into Classmates.com, he found a profile for Andrea Bowman. Was she still alive? And if she wasn't, why was someone making it look like she was? Why was this person trying to make contact with her old school friends? The answer to these questions would involve another amateur investigator, Kathy Tarkinian. Much like Andrea Bowman, she had not had the best of upbringings. She grew up with five siblings from three different fathers, and there was unmistakably constant instability within the family. She had a stepfather who was deployed with the Navy and would be away for long stretches. 
her family would move seven times before seventh grade. But regular fights and the constant uprooting of her life wouldn't be her only trials. At the age of 10, Kathy was sexually assaulted by the husband of her mother's friend, and at age 12, she was molested by a teenager. So, just like Andrea, who was also denied a childhood, Kathy ran away from home. It was 1972 when Kathy boarded a Greyhound bus from Virginia and fled to Memphis for a fresh start. This wasn't her final destination. She would eventually follow a colorful character to Mardi Gras in New Orleans, where she set up camp. This became the fresh start Kathy needed. She found like-minded people and others who had fled for a better life. This community helped each other out, and they would ensure they were all fed and watered, get each other work, and keep each other off the streets. It was a relative paradise to where she'd come from. It was here that she met 19-year-old Randy Badger, and soon the two hit it off. Things were starting to look rosy for the teenage runaway. The young couple traveled to South Carolina to get permission from Kathy's parents to marry, and they were only too happy to pass on the responsibility of their child to someone else. Her mother seemed especially keen on this. The two were married, and they didn't get to have a first anniversary before they found out that Kathy was pregnant. On June the 23rd, 1974, baby Alexis was born, allowing Kathy to give her daughter the childhood that was robbed from her. Unfortunately, Randy Badger didn't feel the same way. While his wife was growing up, taking responsibility and juggling work with motherhood, Randy lived a party lifestyle within the counterculture of the 70s. This included multiple affairs, which were discovered when Kathy came back home to see her husband kissing another woman on the sofa, with baby Alexis crying without a diaper. This was the final straw for her, and she decided she needed to remove her baby from this environment. Just one problem. Kathy didn't have the luxury of options. Her only option now was to go back home to Virginia. So she did, and in a matter of hours, her dream life crashed down and gave way to an old nightmare. Kathy's mother was less than pleased about the situation and had no appetite for a grandchild. She instead encouraged Kathy to give the young Alexis up for adoption so she could be freed up to look after her siblings. After constant jibes, Kathy had no choice but to agree. She gave Alexis up for adoption after finding her a good home. But Kathy wasn't just going to stay at home and care for her siblings. She attended nursing school and met her husband of 30 years which all turned her life around for the better. But all that would change in 2010. Kathy was home with her husband, enjoying a peaceful afternoon when the call came. The police requested a DNA sample and gave little details as to why. The few bits of information she heard were enough to shock her. And as Carl Koppelman had done, she did her own online research and found the picture of a 14-year-old Andrea Bowman. She couldn't rule out the possibility that she was looking at a picture of her daughter. 
she found out later that the Virginia social services were told that Alexis had fetal alcohol syndrome and that Kathy had taken LSD while pregnant. None of this was true, but it did affect the kind of home Alexis was sent to. Kathy presumed that her mother had fed the authorities these lies. Nothing was as it seemed, and nobody could be trusted, least of all her mother. This spurred Kathy to look for the truth and set up a classmate's profile to get in touch with Andrea's school friends. But it wasn't them that responded. It was Koppelman. Kathy and Carl got in contact with each other and formed a partnership to attempt to unravel this mystery. The results of the DNA tests were now vital in figuring out if Andrea was, in fact, Alexis. But so many questions remained. If Andrea was indeed dead, then how did it happen? And who was responsible? In an effort to try and get a head start on these questions, Kathy Tarkinian got in touch with Pat O'Reilly, a retired Michigan detective. He was certain the investigation was botched and that there was only one man they should be speaking to, Dennis Bowman. We'll learn more about this story in episode two of this series. Amateur detective work can uncover all manner of intriguing and horrifying true stories, and this is no exception. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you in the next one. special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.